0: Uh, we're going through um, famous verses from the Bible, and today is no different. Famous words from the Bible, I've picked something that I felt would be really appropriate as well for, uh, I know Douglas isn't going to kind of hear this, but actually on a day of dedication. And um, there's this feature on Google, if you've ever been on Google, which I'm sure most of you have heard of that Um that when you start typing, it fills in the rest of the sentence. you ever come across that? So it gives you like the top 10 hits. So I typed into Google Jeremiah 2911 just to see what some of the top hits would be. And you've got normal ones like different translations. And then like hit number six or seven was chest tattoo. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh, this must be a very popular verse to have... Jeremiah 29, 11, all the way across the top of your body. No doubt quite painful as well. But that's how famous this verse is, that people would be willing to ink it on themselves permanently. And uh, I did do a few Googles, actually, and there's loads of people that have got Jeremiah 29, 11, all over their body in lots of different places. It's a very famous passage in the Bible. And for many of you, it will be a special verse. I'm sure that's true today. Like when I say Jeremiah 29:11, 11, there'll be some of you that go... Wow, I love that verse. You might have it on your fridge. You might have it on a picture on your wall. It might be something that's been spoken over your life. It might be something that you've, somebody said to you, oh, you, you know, you're know, you down in the dumps, you're struggling, and someone said, don't worry, God has got a plan for your life. He loves you. He's got plans for your good and to prosper you, and he's going to give you a hope and a future. All that's lifted from Jeremiah 29, 11. Amazing verse. Amazing verse, but my kind of question that's slightly uncomfortable, I suppose, when dealing with Jeremiah 29:11 is if you read it in that, lo- in that way, what happens when Damo isn't healed? What happens then? What happens when actually life's hard? We're saying God's got good plans for my life, but what happens when it's difficult? And we're dealing with pain and hurt, which we know we all have. This is what it says, Jeremiah 29, 11. Absolutely true for us today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I absolutely believe that to be true and I hope you do too. But there, there's like backstory to it. And for us, I believe, to fully appreciate. I think this verse, for me, a very important verse, but I think it's better than I ever ever imagined it to be you think oh this is a great fridge magnet verse I think it's better than that because I think it finds its fullness in something that's far beyond the way that we apply it and think about it and that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning with us so if you've got a bible um Jeremiah 29 is the place to be roughly in the middle of your bible um there or thereabouts and in verse 1 of Jeremiah 29 it says this and this is how we can start to understand Jeremiah 29 11 a little a says this verse 1 these are the words of the letter that jeremiah the prophet sent from jerusalem so jeremiah is the one who's it's it's his words to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets and all the people whom nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from jerusalem into babylon the year is 597 bc they are taken as captives from israel to Babylon but that's what happens they're receiving this letter this word from Jeremiah about I've got plans for your life they're good things you've got a hope you've got a future and they're in exile they're miles from home they're in a the land they don't know in a culture they don't know where they worship gods that they don't see and worship surrounded by strange customs and strange practices taken against their will and yet the prophet is saying I've got a plan for your life have you ever felt like that I'm sure many of us probably here haven't been exiled in that way but we may have been in situations where it's pretty bleak where we're looking around going where are you God where are you in this circumstance where are you in my life right now and yet Jeremiah says have hope you've got a future you ever ask the question, if God was real, why is this my lot? You ever ask that? Or if you're not a Christian here this morning, you think, I can't believe in God because this is my lot. Why would have this happened, or why would have that happened if God were real, if God was around? Well, this here in Jeremiah 29 29 is not the ideal scenario either, is it? getting taken out of your own home and taken to a new place. And in Jeremiah 28, the chapter before, uh, you can read about this guy called Hananiah. um, And he's going around basically saying to everybody, don't worry, guys, it's all right. We're only going to be here for two years. And then King Neb's going to let us go. And it's going to be fantastic. We're going to go home and it will be beautiful. Except Hananiah has no clue whatsoever. And Jeremiah's like, just Hananiah, just ignore him. It's different. Jeremiah, the genuine prophet, has something different to say. This is what he says in verse 10. This is the verse that comes before that famous verse that we all love. Okay, this is important. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, not two, 70, I will visit you And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. In other words, I will then bring you home. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You read it like that, all of a sudden it reads very differently, doesn't it? That's how it's to be read. To a bunch of people that are, in one way, far from God. Where is God in my life? It's not a good situation. So if you're sat here this morning saying, oh, life is hard. How do I know God's plans are for my life? Well, it's the same thing that God said to his people. That for 70 years, and you think about 70 years, I was trying to do the maths a little bit. Likely as I won't be here in 70 years. If I am, it will be a miracle. And they definitely won't be my own niece. Um, secondly, will my daughter and children be here in 70 years? Maybe. I don't think there's a guarantee of that. I think actually this word for God's people is saying, it might not be for you. It might not even be for your kids. But your kids' kids, they'll be home. That's a hard word to hear, isn't it? That's a hard word for the people that have been taken away to a different place to hear. You're going to have to wait 70 years. But I have not forgotten you. And that's what God says to them. I haven't forgotten you. and It's what he says to us today. I have not forgotten any of you this famous verse is written to a people and a a people that are made up of individuals of course but we take verses so often in such an individualistic way that when actually life doesn't go our way we're left disappointed we're left bitter with god in some way that he hasn't fulfilled his promises to us that somehow he's let us down in some way because that's what we're mostly interested in isn't it if we're completely honest What's going to happen in my life? What's my future going to be? What's my story going to be? Obviously, you guys aren't that bothered about me. You're bothered about yourself. And maybe your own family and your own area and your own people, if you like. Yeah, this word was given to a whole people. It's as if it's addressed to the church today. It says, If you are a follower of Jesus, this word is for you. I have not forgotten you. No matter what is going on in your life, I have not forgotten you. I go with you and I have got a plan for your life. It doesn't make it untrue. He has got a plan for our life. What Jeremiah does and what I want to do is I want to turn your attention towards God's plans for your life, not your own plans for your life. You ever had that where like, you're going through life and you think, if I was going to write my life story, it probably wouldn't look like this. Right? I don't think I'm alone in that. right? You've got your own little plans and your own ideas of this is what I want from life and it doesn't always work out like that. But God has plans for his church, and those plans are to make Jesus known. That's why Redeemer King exists. That's why the church started in the first place. So the question I want to ask is this. Does Jeremiah 29.11, written to a bunch of exiles in Babylon, struggling through life, apply to us today in 21st century Chesterfield on a Sunday in November? Does it apply? Is it relevant? Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely is relevant to you today and uh, I believe it's a verse that can be used to be a blessing to people. I believe it can be a verse that speaks life to you that you know you have a God who loves you and he has plans for your life. Just with little Douglas this morning, God has massive plans for his life. We believe that, don't we? Good things for his life, a plan for it. Of course we believe it's relevant today but there's a few things I just want to kind of draw out is how then, how then do we apply the truth of this verse into our life today? What difference does it make in the kind of Monday to Friday going through life? How do I apply the truth of a verse that was written to a whole bunch of people ages ago today for me? First thing I want to draw your attention to is, and this is going to seem really straightforward, God has got good plans for your life. So often we don't believe it, do we? Because we, we don't see it. We don't see that God has actually got good things. And in some translations, dependent on which translation of the Bible you have, it doesn't use the word good. It uses the word welfare. It says God has plans for your welfare. And that word welfare actually means shalom, which means wholeness. God has plans to make you whole. Now, wholeness is different to everything in my life going good. Do you see the distinction there? Like, if my life, everything goes good, then I'm going to, every time I do bowling, I'm going to score a perfect 300. But if my life is about wholeness, then that doesn't necessarily apply. I can pursue wholeness and find wholeness in all different avenues and ways of life. These guys in Babylon could still have wholeness, couldn't they? In their moment of being away from home, in their moment of struggle, they could still find wholeness. They could still find that good from God. When most of us, if I said, for, uh, I have plans for your life, the things that probably come into your head because they're things that come into mine are when we start thinking of dreams, we think, right, what, you know, when you were younger or, or even now, it might be, I want this job. This would be my dream job. If I get this job, then God has plans for my life. Or this would be my dream partner. If I get this partner, then God has great plans for my life. Or this is my dream house or car, or holiday, or I'm looking forward to early retirement. If I get early retirement, then God has good plans for my life. Or if I've got a great pension, then God has good plans for my life. But what happens if I don't have those things? Does God not have good plans for my life anymore? You see, actually, our definition of good plans is far out. It's completely wrong, which is why we get bitter and upset with God when things don't work out. Because God's ways aren't our ways. We know that, right? We, we, we don't see life in exactly the same way. I suppose that super like imposing our own dreams on things, you'd call it the American dream, wouldn't you? That's what they call it. This is the American dream. This is how I want to live my life and I'll have good plans and I'll prosper and I'll be healthy and I'll be wealthy. Ugh. That's not what this verse is saying at all. But God has something better. You know, when you read through church history, if you've ever done this, You can get like the lion handbook of church history. It's really interesting. You can read through like church history and uh, um, not in all of its kind of gruesomeness. But most Christians over history have been oppressed, marginalized, even killed for their faith. Look at the disciples. All but one of them were martyred. Over time, over history, it's been hard for people to follow after God. And the point God's trying to bring up in this is you can have wholeness, you can have peace, you can have me, whatever is going on in your life. Circumstance does not dictate your wholeness, but your relationship with me does, is what he's saying to a people in exile, really struggling. I've got plans for you whilst you're in Babylon for 70 years. You read verse 7, he says, build some houses, bless the cities, get married, have children, live here, be a blessing to the place where you are. That's what God's plan, you're asking, well what is God's plan for my life right now, I can tell you, to be a blessing. Wherever you find yourself, if you are a cleaner, clean to the best of your ability. If you are an engineer, engineer to the best of your ability. Whatever you do, if you are a parent, parent to the best of your ability. Whatever you find yourself doing, wherever you are, use it to glorify God. That's what he says to the people here in Babylon. Yes, I know you're struggling. Yes, I know you're here. I have got plans for your life, but I want you to be a blessing. That is my plan, that you would share me Don't cut corners. Glorify me. And the question to ask yourself is, how can I make much of Jesus Christ in my work, in my home, in my life right now? Right now. Because so often when we think about God has plans for my life, we're always future casting. Do you know what that means? We fail to seize the present. We fail to make much of Jesus right now because we're always waiting for a future day. Whereas what Jeremiah is saying here is, yes, I have got plans for your life. I have got good things, but I want you to be serving me right now. I want you to be a blessing right now. How can we do that? How can we decide to live for Jesus I remember once uh, being in uh, this is a trivial thing but in terms of our indecisiveness in, in serving him in McDonald's and the person I was there with this is a true story was having a proper meltdown an actual meltdown about whether they should have a Big Mac or a quarter pounder with cheese and it almost got to the point that they were saying to me which one does the Lord want me to have and I'm thinking, well, he probably doesn't want us in McDonald's because our body is a temple. But since we're here anyway, Big Mac, obviously, why do we even need to consult him? It's quite obviously that would be the Big Mac. Sorted. It's inconsequential. It doesn't matter, does it? But so often we don't bless because we're like, right, God, which of these five jobs do you want me to do? Well, actually, I think God's more concerned with our character. And whichever job we're in, he wants us to serve whilst we're doing it. So often we're like, oh, I don't know if that's God's plan for my life or that's God's plan for my life. What if God's plan for your life is right where you are right now to serve him and bless him? To be more concerned with how can I live for Jesus? How can I serve him? How can I share the good news of Jesus than what my pension's going to be, or what my hours are going to be, or what my wage packet's going to be all important, of course, to live, but actually, is living for God more important than that, or less important? And that's hard, because we've got to tell it to our soul. We've got to tell it to ourselves because our default is to seek all the other stuff. instead of seeking after Him. And what's more important, I believe, to God, than our, our status, our privilege, our influence even is our character, is our heart is where we are with him. Are we being a blessing? Are we walking with integrity? Are we living for today by following after him? I remember I had a, it was, it was last year actually, I had this amazing chat Vicky with your mum, Dorothy, who, an inspirational figure in my life, if you never met Dorothy Cadman, I'm really sorry, because <laughs> she was amazing. And I, I remember I spent quite a lot of time with her very godly wise woman and um, I remember she sat in her chair and she said to me Dan I'm so sorry I can't do this or I can't do that all I can do is pray that's what she said and she was she was beating herself up about it a little bit and I thought no you've got that all wrong not all you can do is pray it's like wow you can pray in that moment that's, that's, that's what she had the strength for, to pray and pray and pray. And I know she did pray and pray and pray. And she served God where she was. She wasn't saying, if this happens in my life, then I'll pray. Or if this happens in my life, then I'll serve. She just got on with it. Choose today, church, to be a blessing. Do not put it on hold. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has a plan for your life. Don't put it on hold. Today, choose to be a blessing. Choose to bless other people, to bless our town, to bless our families. Don't miss out on the plans God has for you in the here and now. Which brings me on to the second part of that. If it says God has plans that are good for you, plans that are good or for your welfare, not for evil. What happens? That's a strong word, evil, isn't it? But what happens if life is actually really, really hard? I know God loves me. I know his word said he loves me. I know it's true, but actually life is tough right now. We live in a messy, broken, hurting world, don't we? And that will be every single one of our experience in some way where our hearts become hurt. And last night after my penguin dancing at the Cayley, um, a little bit like this really. Um, I know I'm a pro. I'll be on Strictly Come Dancing next year. I walked through town back to the the car with Grace uh, and on our, what, short five minute journey, we saw um, homelessness, we saw vomit, we saw drunkenness, we saw rage, we think we saw a drug deal with a moped um, and passing of some suspicious substances and you know what, my heart grieved. It was literally a five minute walk and my heart grieved and I thought, oh, we live in a broken world. Where is God's good plan here? Where is it? And as I was walking through Chesterfield, I thought, oh, you dummy. I'm God's good plan right now. I'm part of the solution. You're part of the solution. Being salt and light. Being a blessing. But sometimes that can be hard to see, can't it, when it goes wrong. Not many of you will know this and this may surprise you, but at university, well before I went to university, I was due to go and study radiography. I think that was worthy of like a, an ooh. I know, very fancy, right? I was gonna be the guy who put you in the CT machine, put you for your, for your scans, for your whole body to check what's going on. I'd done my work experience at Royal Blackpool Victoria Hospital. I'd passed all that I needed to pass. All I needed now, was my grades and I would have got into Derby University, that's where I was applying for, that was my first choice and uh, Leeds was my second and uh, I was all set for that and um, I I enjoy a cheeky KFC every now and again and I think I'd had one a couple of weeks prior um, or a few days prior to my actual A-level sitting of my different paper, on my 18th birthday I did an A-level paper how depressing is that? It turns out that I got a little something called Campylobacter. Yeah, Uh, yeah, bless me, yeah. I'm not going to go into detail. If you want to have a look, you can Google it, but I don't advise it. In fact, you could just put Campylobacter in and see what Google fills in the rest of it, (laughs) and you'll have half an idea. Very nasty food poisoning, often from chickens. Not being, you know, poultry, not being mixed properly. And so I experienced that while sitting my A-levels. Um, I mean, that was one problem. The other problem was I hadn't really done any revision. But you put the two things together, and it was a terrible concoction. <laughs> I tell you, it did not go well. And um, come results day, I didn't do very well at all. Um, I got a U in one thing, which you know apparently means unclassified. I thought it meant it would mean like something amazing, but no, it doesn't. Uh, I did not do very well. I did not get the results that I needed. And uh, soon enough, I found out that my first choice, my backup choice, even my backup backup choice, did not want me. The dream of radiography was gone like that. Gone. Unless I sat my A-levels again, but I'm sure I'd have just got compiler back to again or something. And so I'd have still not got there. I don't think I could have got anything other than a U in A-level biology. My brain just doesn't work that way. Or is it chemistry? I can't even remember. Either way, I just couldn't do it. Point is this. I went from having all my plans sorted in my life to in a moment everything being gone. But well, where am I gonna go? Am I gonna go to university? Oh, but what am I gonna do? If I do go, who's gonna want me? Have you seen my grades? I'm not gonna get in anywhere. And so as you can imagine, you know, I'm a little emotional at times. It was an emotional day. And I remember um, picking up the results going home. I think my dad like came home from work because I was that like just messed up with the results that I had. And straight away we started talking about, well, what's God laid on your heart, Dan? You know, if it's not radiography, what, what's your passion? Right now, not the future, right now, he said. What is your passion? And I was like, well, I like God quite a lot. He's like, no, what is your passion? I'm like, well, I like sport quite a lot. Well, right, let's look into that. And by the end of the day, I had a place at a university where I could study sport for three years. All right, I'm not a radiographer, but I got a sports degree. Hey. Um, I know. What is it they say about teaching those that, you know, don't teach and they can't, and they end up teaching PE. I don't even teach PE. I couldn't even do that. But I ended up there for a reason, and it wasn't necessarily my plan. But then after three years, Grace came along. I met my wife, and then got married and now have children and now I'm here and all that kind of stuff which wouldn't have been had I just gone after my own plans and my own pursuit see what I'm trying to say sometimes things that come in our life that seem bad news difficult situations God is working in the background and we cannot even see or appreciate what he's doing until afterwards hindsight is a wonderful thing isn't it I remember Grace saying to me, she was living on the South Coast at the time and we studied at Edgehill University, which is a place called Ormskirk, which is in between, this is a bit of geography for you, Liverpool and Manchester. It's not very exciting, not much goes on there. Um, But for me, it was only 45 minutes away from home, but Grace was like, this is where I wanna go. She didn't know why, but you know what Grace went to university for? Me. (laughs) I know you're thinking she got a raw deal. (laughs) She got all that student debt and all she came out of it was me. Because <laughs> actually you didn't finish your degree, did you? <laughs> You're like, oh, Dan's gone now. Oh, that's what I came for. Point is, like, you were so set on going there, weren't you? And like, why? You're so far from home and there were better places, arguably, for the course you wanted to study, to do primary education. And yet that was the place that almost you felt was laid on your heart to go. And so... Sometimes when things happen in our life and we don't understand and things can be hard, I fully believe that God is working and God is at work. We just don't always see it. Think of the exiles in Babylon. 70 years. They weren't going to see it, were they? They weren't necessarily going to see all that God was going to do. But God said, I haven't forgotten you. I'm still here. I'm going to be with the next generation and the generation after that. Just continue to be faithful. I fully believe that Romans 8, 28 is true, that God has got good things for us, for those that love him. He does love his children. But it's not always in our time. It's not always in our way. And we don't always understand it, but you know what God calls us to do? Trust him anyway. And that is so hard. That is so hard. When we're dealing with, like, Mine was a bit of a trivial story, really. But if we're getting real, when actually there's hard stuff in our life, there's pain, there's grief, there's redundancy, whatever, you might be going through. You're probably sat here thinking, well, that's all right for you to say that. How is that true for me? Well, it's true because God hasn't forgotten you, that God still loves you, that God still has a plan for your life. And the call is, to trust him despite what the world has to say I asked I sat down he's not here today I sat down with a guy I, I respect tremendously who is going through an incredibly difficult time and I said how do you keep on going? how do you keep on trusting? and he said one word to me hope he says that's all I've got hope and the greatest three virtues the Bible talks about are hope faith and love. There's this beautiful image, I think. I like to think of it like this that hope is like the little sister, and it's dragging faith and it drags love into being. That hope will help you to love. Hope will help you to have faith. Hope will help you to trust because you are looking beyond what is in front of you, at all that is to come. Yes, this story there is historical redemption, but there's also future redemption. There's also, this is why God has good plans for your life. He gave you Jesus Christ. Jesus came, born, we're going to hear about that a lot over Christmas time, dies upon a cross, is raised to new life for your sin, for your shame, for your stuff. Why does he go through all that? Because God has a plan for you. Why does he go through all that? Because he loves you. Why does he go through all that? Because he wants you to follow after him, because he has purposes for you now. What are the good plans God has for your life? If you're struggling to see it, I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus. That's your ultimate good plan. I have plans for your life. I've given you Jesus. Plans for hope in the future. I've given you Jesus. Now look to him. And as you look to him, you will find life. And I want to finish with this. these amazing verses. Jeremiah 29, 29, 12 and 13. You will call upon me. You will come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Yes, a message to exiles, a message to strangers. But you know what? Chesterfield is not my ultimate home. Life with God is, which means it's a message to me too and a message to you. So that's my challenge for you today. God has good plans for your life. He loves you. He wants you to enter into what The response he wants from you this morning is to call out to him again, is to be filled with hope that God has got you, that God loves you, and we absolutely believe from the youngest here right the way through God has plans and purposes for each one of us that's why I open with these verses from Psalm 42 why are you cast down O my soul why are you downtrodden within me hope in God for shall again I praise you my salvation and my God